0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeff Birch, and I'm the pastor here at Lake Oconee, and it is my joy and privilege to welcome all of you to worship this morning, and that is whether you are worshiping with us here in person or over the live stream, we are thrilled that you have chosen uh, to join with us as we celebrate the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're visiting with us today, we offer a very, very warm welcome to you. We hope you have gotten our, I'll call it bag of goodies, our swag bag, just kind of the fun stuff we hand out if you're visiting. We want the opportunity not only to get to know you, but for you to get to know us as well. And this is, this is where I get to play uh, flight attendant. If you're on the end of our rows, okay, this is... It's always one of the most fun things I get to do each week. If you're, on the end of the, now if you're on the end of the row and you can't perform these duties, feel free to move your seats now. I have flown once or twice before. If you're on the end of the row, there is what we call a friendship register. Now, don't worry about the word register. The important part of that is the word friendship. This is our way of if you choose to, if you like, you can let us know you're here we can begin to develop a friendship with you. So if you're on the end of the row, get it started, pass it down, and then we can collect them at the appropriate time. Several announcements I would like to make. Most are calendar items moving into Advent and Christmas season. Uh, next, This coming Saturday, after Thanksgiving, we will be decorating the church, and there's a sign-up sheet out front If in the narthex if you are interested in doing that. And then I'm putting together daily devotions for the Advent season. And so just be on the lookout for that. That will be starting next Sunday morning through Facebook as well as uh, kind of e blasts. And so they will come each morning. And so we're excited about that. The community Christmas concert is Sunday, December 5th. It's over at the Greenboro, Greenbo- I can see if I can say that, Greensboro. First United Methodist Church, their south campus over on Cary Station Road, it's at 4 o'clock. Members of our choir are going to be joining with several other choirs uh, to lead us as we worship our Lord and Savior this Christmas season. And then ladies' tea, it is not too late to sign up, but you only have one week to go. Right, Brenda? We're counting down the days. One week to go. Next Sunday, the 28th, is the deadline The tea will be on Tuesday evening, the 7th, at 6.30. Great opportunity for fellowship, celebration, inviting your friends. And men, I have an opportunity for you. Don't you love when the pastor starts the announcement that way? Listen tight, men. I have an opportunity for you. We have the privilege of serving the ladies that night. And so there's a sign-up sheet Out in the Northex, we already have six brave men who've signed up, we only need maybe six or eight more. We'll cut it off at 12, see the first 12, you wanna rush out there to do that? We have the opportunity to put on our black slacks, our white shirt, if you wanna really do it up, red or green tie and cummerbund is acceptable, and you can have fun doing that. We have the opportunity to pamper our ladies, and I think that's a great opportunity. So men, sign up, there's a sign up sheet out in the narthex. And now, the last announcement. Where is my... F- Jan, you're over here. I'm always looking for where you're going to be. Jan, call you up front.
1: Good morning. It is my privilege to introduce to you Chris, Carrie, Susanna, Daniel, and Mary Beth Drinkard. We've known Chris and Carrie since their college days, and then we... We're blessed to be a part of their wedding. Um, We've watched them as they have expanded their family, and now we have watched them from afar as God has called them into a journey to to the Manila Manila Philippines. And so we want them to come and share this morning briefly just what they're doing and what God has them doing now. Chris? Thank you, Jan. Well, it's such a privilege to be here with you this morning and just to just to give you a little snapshot of what God is doing uh, through our ministry in Southeast Asia. As Jan mentioned, uh, we serve in the Philippines and uh, we serve with Campus Outreach. Um, some of you may be familiar with Manila because of um, Muhammad Ali's uh, famous Thrilla in Manila fight with Joe Frazier. If I don't know, maybe that will date some of you. Uh, Or if you're a World War II history buff, then you would know that Manila was a strategic city in the Pacific theater of of the war. In fact, uh, the largest U.S. cemetery outside of the United States is in Manila. There's uh, 17,000 white crosses that mark where our countrymen died. But we are in Manila because I believe it's one of the most strategic places on the planet to build kingdom leaders. And that is because Filipinos are some of the kindest, most courageous, and most mobile people on the planet. Uh, For example, there are over 3 million Filipinos who live live and work on the Arabian Peninsula. It's one of the hardest places to reach with the gospel on earth. And in the city of Dubai alone... Uh, Filipinos make up 20% of the population. And so God is sending Filipinos already all over the world. And that's one of the reasons why our family and our team is laboring on college, uh, college campuses in Manila to raise up leaders to send them out into the harvest. So the Philippines has been referred to as the only Christian country in Asia. And that's because About 83% of the population identifies themselves as Catholic. But just as with, or at least maybe 20 years ago, in the southern U.S., um, most people would identify themselves as as a Christian. It's primarily cultural. Um, For most people, for most Filipinos, to be Filipino is to be Catholic. It's a part of your culture. But while I have never met a student who didn't believe that Jesus died for their sins, I have rarely met a student who could tell me why. Why was the death of Christ necessary? And what relevance does that have for your life? How is that affecting your life on a day-to-day basis? So the heart of our ministry is with college students. As I said, we work on the top university in the country. It's called the University of the Philippines. And that's where we are... We and our team are laboring to build relationships with students, to connect with them over meals and uh, sports and social events, to introduce them to the gospel, to invite people who have a spiritual interest to ex- to explore the, the claims of Christ, and then to establish and equip those who come to Christ to be laborers and to reach uh, others. As you can imagine, our... Ministry, uh, because it's so relationship intensive, it's so life-on-life intensive, it's been significantly affected by COVID over the last uh, two years, and that's because the Philippines uh, was one of the most experienced, one of the strictest and longest lockdowns in in the world as it relates to um, COVID. So, since March of 2020, almost all of life has has been online. All education has been online from elementary school to college. Uh, Our church has actually not met in person since March of 2020. And until just weeks ago, uh, kids under the age of 18 could not go out into public places since March of 2020. So uh, that's kind of been our life, our experience uh, since uh, COVID. So you can imagine what that's how that's affected college ministry so we've had to be very creative um, and yet it's been amazing to see God, God's faithfulness to continue to call students to himself even through avenues such as online ministry um, whether that is the 20 students that we are continuing to disciple through um, online bible studies and online 101s Uh, Our student leaders taking initiative to reach out to other students in their classes online. So we're having to retrain people how to engage in spiritual conversations. How do you start a spiritual conversation over uh, a chat uh, on the computer or in an online study group? Or uh, through God just calling students to himself that he wants to save. I shared earlier during the Sunday school hour of a, a Muslim student who one of our staff has been leading through a Bible study through text message because he's afraid of his parents hearing uh, through a video call. So God continues to work. He's continuing to call people to himself despite the challenges that um, COVID has experienced. And it's just showed us over and over again that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. So I'll just close with a few things to you could pray for us if you'd like to join us in prayer. Uh, one is just that uh, we would finish our time here in the U.S. well. We head back to Manila on January the 3rd so we want to make the most of this time and just pray that God would make that transition back into Manila and to life there smooth and fruitful. Secondly um, pray that things continue to open up in in Manila. Pray that things are on a positive trajectory as it relates to COVID where we've we've got reports of face-to-face classes starting next semester so we're really praying that that would be the case, both for the college campuses and for our kids' uh, school, that they can do face-to-face classes as well. And just pray that God would pour out his grace uh, on our team, on our students, on our ministry, and really on the Philippines, that God would continue to call people to himself, that God would raise up labors from among Filipinos to reach uh, their own country with the gospel, Southeast Asia, and the world. So on behalf of our family, our staff, our students that we're serving in Manila, thank you for partnering with us to raise up labors on the campus for the lost world. Thanks.
0: It is uh, an extra joy for me to be able to welcome Chris and Carrie and their family because. I've known them, and and I think Chris and I are just guessing when we say this. I'm going to guess roughly 15 years. It may be longer. Uh, When I was pastoring in Florida, uh, Chris was one of the leaders at Campus Outreach Augusta, and they would bring students each year to the Summer Leadership Project and worship with us at Spruce Creek. And so uh, I won't share all the war stories, but Chris and I would frequently have lunch together and uh, enjoy fellowship. How about that, I'll just, call, I'll just call it that. So it's a joy to be able to reconnect uh, up here with them. And it's also a privilege this morning to welcome Haley Heinen with us as she is using her gifts. Amy is away, and so Haley, we welcome you, and we are grateful that you are joining and serving with us this morning. And so now as we prepare our hearts for worship, let's uh, meditate on the goodness of the Lord as the prelude is played. A wonderful reminder, we have a good, good Father who actually wants to relate to us, to commune with us, to be with us. And worship is our response to His initiative. Here are our call to worship from Psalm 105, verses 1 to 4. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name make known his deeds among the peoples sing to him sing praises to him tell of all his wondrous works glory in his holy name let the hearts of those who seek the lord rejoice seek the lord and his strength seek his presence continually father i pray that this morning that we would leave this place falling more deeply in love with who you are for you are a good good father only does good to us. And so we give thanks to you. We call upon your name. May we make known your deeds to all that are around us. And may we have your presence. We invite you as you've called us to worship to join with us as we glory in your holy name through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Please stand as we sing our opening hymn of praise. Rejoice ye preaching from the New Testament that I want to do an Old Testament Scripture reading to kind of complement that. This morning I'm preaching from the Old Testament, so we're going to look at a New Testament Scripture reading. One of the reasons I do that is to demonstrate the unity of the Scriptures and how the Old Testament is a testament of promise, looking for its fulfillment. And what did Paul write? All the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And so our scripture reading this morning comes from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 14 to 21. Paul writes, for the love of Christ controls us. Part of me wants to stop there. We need to pray for that, don't we? That it would be the love of Christ controlling us in all things. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We ask that God would add his blessing to the reading of his word, and I just want to leave us with this. Does it strike you how much God trusts us that he would entrust to us. See, I don't know about you, but to me a job is kind of easier done what when you do it yourself. Anybody struggle with delegation? Kind of trusting somebody else with? It? And yet what does the text tell us? That God entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. He did the work and then he simply told us go and share it. Let's stand and continue to worship. As we
2: sing, give thanks to the Lord.
0: Let us join together as we recite and pray together the prayer that our Savior taught us, the Lord's Prayer. And then I will lead us in the pastoral prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We began this service, Father, by hearing played and meditating on your goodness, that you are a good, good Father. And we want to pause to thank you, that we're going to be celebrating Thanksgiving We're going to be feasting, probably watching football, having a good time, but may we know in our hearts, may we acknowledge in our hearts the tremendous blessings that you have given to us. May we not just be thankful for the blessings, but Lord, may you cultivate within each of us a grateful heart that Thanksgiving would be a lifestyle for us. It would be how we live that we would recognize that even while we're in the wilderness journeying to the promised land, we pray thy kingdom come. It hasn't fully, in its consummated form, come yet. So there's much turmoil and there's much suffering. But we can still have a grateful heart, even in the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering. If not for the suffering itself, we can be grateful and thankful for the work you are doing what you are working in us and through us. And we think with the Apostle of saying, for I count even my present sufferings as not worth even comparing to the glory to be revealed in us. So, Father, we pray that you would cultivate in us the character of Christ, the Christ-like attributes. Father, I personally and we thank you as a church for the ministry of the Drinkard family and for Chris and Carrie. And we ask, Lord, that you would be with them and we think of their preparing to head back to Manila. We pray, Father, for their heart's preparations, physical, spiritual, emotional. Goodbyes, they'll be saying here, re-entering once again. Lord, we pray that you prepare their team their ministry, even as things have not been opened because of COVID for so long, Lord, as they prepare for face-to-face ministry and what that might look like, we know you've been faithful and at work, but we pray that you give the team creativity, ingenuity, an ability to die to themselves in order to bear the burdens and emulate the gospel, live a cruciform, gospel-patterned life before staff, before students, that, Lord, this would truly be a Christ-centered, gospel-centered ministry. We pray for the drinker's health. We pray, Father, for their finances. We ask, Lord, that you would grant to them your presence, that they would have intimacy in their walk with you, that, Lord, they would sense your presence. And we thank you that you have given us here at Lake Oconee the privilege and the opportunity to partner with them. So I thank you, Father, for this part you've given us in their ministry. And as we continue to worship, Father, as we prepare to hear your word, as we bring our offerings before you, We ask, Father, as we prayed at the beginning, that we would glory in your holy name so that everything we do would be for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. seated. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you uh, for this seminal text of Scripture. One of the most alluded to and quoted texts of the Old Testament in the New is from Isaiah 53. And so, Lord, as we approach this, I ask simply that, Holy Spirit, you would be our teacher that you would reveal to yourself what you want us to know, not simply about you, but of you, of your heart, that we would be changed by your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have Bibles, I would encourage you to turn in them, our text this morning. And I have to tell you, it's a rather lengthy text. It is the fourth servant song of Isaiah. You know how we've been going through... These songs that all introduce this mysterious figure known as the servant of the Lord. Isaiah 42 begins, Behold the servant. When we get to the New Testament, we discover that this servant is identified as Jesus Christ. And we've kind of been moving up to talk about who he is. If you remember how he treated people, a bruised reed, he will not break, a smoldering wick. He will not snuff out. His love is always demonstrated. We see that in Jesus and how he relates to people. And we've been moving towards what is his mission? What is his agenda? What did he come to do? And as we've been going through these servant songs, we've noticed that they've more and more had a bit of an ominous tone. What is this servant going to do? And here it's laid bare for us. The servant of the Lord is a suffering servant servant. He demonstrates his love for us in that he suffers for us and with us. And so as I read, and it's a lengthy text, okay, here's, the, here's your text. Don't fall asleep on me as I read a lengthy text. But instead, I want to paint a picture for you. Fall in love with wonder because what is being spoken of here? Hundreds of years before Jesus of Nazareth arrived on the scene, what is being spoken of is what the Savior, Jesus, has done for you. This is his personal love for you. And so, friends, beginning at the end of chapter 52, verse 13, and reading through chapter 53, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet, he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Friends, this is the word of the Lord given by the triune God of love because he loves you. Okay, Tim Keller, when he preached this text, listening to his sermon reading on this, he's told his congregation, take off their shoes, you're on holy ground, listening to this particular text of Scripture. As we have this fourth of the servant songs, we're going to look at what we learn about the suffering servant covering three things, three things that we want to see from this text. One, the reality of his suffering. Two, the reasons for his suffering. And finally, the results of his suffering. Chris was giving us acronyms this morning. I do alliteration. I'm not sure if that's good for Presbyterian pastors to do, but if you remember these three R's, reality, reasons, and results, you'll remember the outline. First, the reality of his suffering. C.S. Lewis in one of my favorite books of his, The Four Loves, says this. He says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. To love is to suffer. We learn in the New Testament, 1 John chapter 4, it says simply, God is love. That means there is nothing that he does that isn't consistent with his love. When he judges... It's a loving judgment. Even in his wrath, it's a holy, loving wrath. It's a loving power. It's a loving justice. It's a loving majesty. Everything is part of his love, which means everything. Now, remember, he's the creator. We're built and made in his image. Everything he does showcases his vulnerability. This is an amazing God. God is vulnerable. In the text before us, the means of reconciliation with God is revealed and it is through the vicarious suffering of the Lord's servant. Isaiah has been anticipating this for some time now. The revelation of God's people being restored to himself by referring to the image of the arm of the Lord. That image means incomparable power. So in Isaiah 51, verse 5, he says, My righteousness draws near speedily, my salvation is on the way, and my arm will bring justice to the nations. The islands, the coastlands, like the Philippines, will look to me and wait in hope for my arm. In other words, the entire creation, the entire cosmos is waiting for the revelation of God's power. The whole Old Testament is moving towards this, the anticipation is building. The tension is mounting. The great arm of the Lord is to be revealed. And of course, what's our expectation when you expect the power of God to to be revealed? Don't you expect some great triumph? Some great victory? Some great, here he comes, he's going to vanquish the enemies, he's going to ride in on a white horse. It's nothing but power and majesty. And yet doesn't come the way it's expected. It's not going to come through a raw, naked display of strength and power. It's going to come through ultimate suffering and weakness. In other words, it would not be a conquering, smashing hero, but a suffering, dying hero. This song has basically five movements to it. Five, if it's a poem, it has five stanzas. Each one has three verses in it. So if you look at verse 13, it says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. There's the definite note of triumph. There's no question about the ultimate outcome of the servant's work. The song ends even with the same this note of triumph. In chapter 53, verse 12, He will divide the spoils with the strong. The spoils belong to the victor. We've all heard that phrase. It is important for us to notice this, that the song begins and ends with this note of assurance because nothing in between looks like victory. See, there's a pattern to the gospel and there's a pattern to all gospel living. That pattern is death and resurrection. We've been talking about this. It's humiliation and then exaltation. Suffering and then glory. It's not a holding on to power. It's a giving away of power. And friends, if we're going to minister in a Christ-like way, remember, this is a Christ. You know what it means to be a Christian? To be a Christian means you're united to Christ. He lives in you. Paul in Colossians once said, Christ in us, the hope of glory. So it's not about us imitating or emulating Christ. This is about the work he's doing in us because we're united to him. But do you want to know what that work will look like in our lives? won't always look successful, won't look like glory, it will look like death and then resurrection, humiliation and then exaltation. There's a reason Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. In other words, give up your rights. Take up your cross and follow me. Gospel-centered living is not about holding on to power and glory. It's about giving away power. That's why Martin Luther compared two ways of living. He said you could live under a theology of glory or theology of the cross. Which way do you think Luther was uh, challenging, by the way? He wasn't challenging us to hold on to power and glory. He was challenging us to give up our rights, give up power, give up our freedoms for the sake of others. It will definitely end with resurrection and ascension and victory. But if you pick up, look with me at chapter 52, verse 14. It certainly doesn't look like it. And This is our Savior. It says, as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance Not a Kardashian here, is he? Beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. And, of course, how does chapter 53 begin? Who has believed this message? Who has believed what he's heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Look with me at the reality of his suffering. He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces. Do you see the reality of his suffering? Men couldn't even stand to look upon him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. His disfigurement is both shocking and appalling. He hardly appears to be human. Rather than look like the attractive and conquering heroes of the world, The suffering hero is so marred and disfigured that kings are struck dumb. This is not what we would expect, is it? The revelation of the arm of the Lord to look like. And yet, this is what it is. See, the entire Bible, the entire story of God is a story of God giving away his power for the sake of love being vulnerable, giving away himself for the sake of love. Think about some of the ways even prior to Jesus' death he fulfilled this ministry. Every part. See, how do we know the Father? We know the Father through the Son, right? To see Jesus is to see the Father. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of the Father. Think about the Gospels for a second. How do we see Jesus? Think of his vulnerability here. He comes and he touches lepers. To the Samaritan woman who was an outsider in the way of ethnicity, in the way of gender, in the way of morality, he fellowships with her. He invites tax collectors and comes over to their home and has a meal signifying unity and fellowship with them. And then even after his followers, his best friends, his disciples betray him, what does he do but show them the ultimate hospitality? welcoming back, enjoying just being with them. How do you know God is working in your life? You're moved by some of this welcome of God, that God welcomes you and you begin to welcome others. It's not about doing something extraordinary. It's not about being famous. It's not about doing something out of this world. It's about ordinary loving God and loving people. God is love and whoever abides in God abides in love is what 1 John chapter 4 teaches us. See, it's not the way we would expect. It's not about success and fame and celebrity and power and glory. It's about bearing with one another's griefs, bearing one another's burdens, entering into their griefs, their sorrows, You know, I think one of the hardest messages and one of the hardest parts of discipleship, and for that matter, something I think in general the American church is weakest at, is suffering. I don't know if any of you have heard of the physician, the orthopedic surgeon by the name of Dr. Paul Brand, but he was a pioneering orthopedic surgeon in the treatment of leprosy. In the first part of his career, the first part of his work, he was in India. He began his medical career there. The last part, he was here in the U.S. Listen to his observation. He says, In the United States, I encountered a society that seeks to avoid pain at all costs. Patients lived at a greater comfort level than any I had previously treated, but they seemed far less equipped to handle suffering and far more traumatized by it. Now, are we advocating glorying in our suffering? No. That is not at all. We don't minimize. We don't glory in our suffering. But friends, we ought to examine our heart. Because how did God reveal himself? He revealed himself as a suffering servant who was acquainted with our griefs, who carried our sorrows. The character of God is that he is a co-sufferer with us. That God, if you're a believer, that God in Jesus Christ lives in you. He's in you. He's not going to be anointing a life of holding on to your power and glory because that is completely anathema to everything he is and he stands for. That's the reality of his suffering. Now look at the reasons of his suffering. Verses 4 to 6. And the reasons of his suffering are very simple. He loved you that much. It says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. I want you to notice all the pronouns here. He was pierced, so all this suffering we've talked about, why? For our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement or the justice or the punishment that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, I want you to look at this with me. The servant is not suffering because God has inflicted deserved punishment on him. No, the, suffer, the servant suffers in our place. Not as our example, as our substitute. Here's Jesus cut off from God for us in our place. This is why I had us read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 earlier in the service. Because chapter 5 verse 21 is a tremendous summary, if you would, of what Isaiah is prophesying here. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He did what we could never do for ourselves. Theologians far, far greater than me, they're here, I'm way down here, call this the great exchange. That Jesus is exchanging in both death and life his self for us. How does Tim Keller always say it? Jesus died the death we should have died and lived the life We should have lived so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you know how free you actually are? Do you know how loved you actually are? Do we recognize? See, this is the difference between Christianity and religion. Religion is still a lot of rituals, a lot of man trying to reach God. Do you know what Christianity is? It is called radical grace. That's why Steve Brown is one of my favorite theologians to listen to. You all heard of Steve Brown, PCA pastor? He says, smile. God is not mad at you. He actually likes you. Now, see, I, I say that, and we all kind of chuckle, and I do too. But do we believe it? Do we believe that the results of his suffering is that we are so loved that God is not only not mad at us, he can't get mad at us. Now, did I say he won't discipline us? I didn't say that. Of course he'll discipline. God's not all of a sudden pro-sin. He's not in favor of sin. But do you recognize his discipline, his training, his teaching, everything he does is out of love. God is love. I'm preaching to myself as much as I am to to you, that we would get to know the character of God. Not all the images we've had of God growing up. Not all the preconceived notions we've had of God, of being a mad God, a tyrannical God, a tough God. But a God because of Jesus' vulnerability, being acquainted with our griefs, carrying himself our sorrows. He's not mad. Actually, you walk in the room and there's, I would imagine, a huge smile on his face. He is thrilled with you because you are in Jesus. Do we realize the depth of his love for us? This is a holy, radical love. And last, look with me at the last, beginning at verse 7. There were some of the results of his suffering. It says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, And you know what it says in Revelation chapter 13? It says, he's a lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. This is the character and the heart of God. He was a victim of tremendous injustice. One of the results of his suffering was he went through a kangaroo court that condemned him to die. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent so he opened not his mouth. I guess Jesus wasn't on Facebook lately. There's a lot of people that open their mouths on Facebook. You ever notice that? And yet Jesus is silent. Maybe he wouldn't do so good, or maybe he would do awesome on social media. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And then talk about a co-sufferer. Him who knew no sin, they made his grave with the wicked. Talk about identifying with us. The servant here is compared to a sheep, but so much different than we are. See, earlier the text said what? We all, like sheep, have done what? Asserted our independence, our autonomy. We all, like sheep, have turned away. Each one of us have gone to his own way. We wonder why the world is so chaotic. What's the population of the world? Are we over seven? Have we hit eight billion yet? Seven billion, whatever. Seven billion sheep turning to their own way. And I wonder sometimes if the church is any different. It's been entrusted to us to have the message of reconciliation. Who's the body of Christ on the earth? People want to see... An invisible God, God who can't be seen visibly today. They're supposed to look at the people of God. They're supposed to look at the church, the body of Christ. What kind of sheep are we? Are we sheep like Jesus, who accepts his suffering, is silent, is yielded? Haley, I love the fact that you played I surrender all. Because how Christ-like is that? It was the will of the Lord to crush him, and Jesus surrendered. And don't think the Father was turning against the Son. That's not it. They were together in what? Loving the people of God. Showing the depth of covenantal love to God's people. Verse 11 tells us that he will see his offspring. He will see the light of life. Did you think, how will that be satisfied? One commentator puts it this way, he says, how can someone who's been cut off from the land of the living, without descendants, ever have these things? He writes, it certainly looks as though resurrection is the only answer. And what is his reward? Why did he do it? It's us. He did it all for us. See, verse 11 is absolutely amazing. He will see the light of life and be satisfied. And do you know what he's saying? He's saying, He's saying all this pain, all this vulnerability, all the injustice, all the oppression, it's worth it. I'm satisfied. And do you know why? Because we are his bride, we are his inheritance. He says it's worth it and it's satisfied because I didn't lose you. Now, friends, that's why radical grace is difficult because it takes us completely out of control. And guess what? We like to be in control. I can say God likes you and he's not mad at you, but he's God and you're not. It's on his terms and not on our terms. And he says, I go through it again. It's all worth it. I will do it and I will do it again because you know what? I love you that much. And if we abide in love, that love is going to go Elsewhere, And do you want to know what the world needs? Do you want to know what the Lake Country needs? Do you want to know what Lake Oconee needs? Do you want to know what the Manila and the Philippines needs? It needs the love of Christ to be demonstrated by a church that is just enthralled by radical grace. That is enthralled by the fact that in an undeserved sort of way, they're loved that much by the creator of the universe. The world doesn't need our agendas, doesn't need our glory, doesn't need our power, doesn't need our programs. The world needs love for us to bear burdens, for us to be acquainted with their griefs, to empty ourselves for the sake of others. We're united to Christ who is a servant and we're called to live the servant's life. And the burden of servanthood is what? It's to bear the burdens of those around us. It's easy just to tell people where the cure is to be found. takes no involvement. None of their mess passes into you. But that's not how Jesus did it. He identified with our mess. And all of our mess completely passed into him. He took our burdens, our mess. Friends, you're united to Christ. See the reality of his suffering. See the reasons for his suffering. See the results of his suffering. Let's pray. Father, words completely elude us sometimes to be able to say how we praise you and thank you for the gift of Jesus. I know for myself, I simply ask that I would understand more your love, that I would be rooted and centered in your love, and that we would be rooted and centered in your love, and maybe then be a little less selfish and a little less insecure. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand and sing our closing hymn of praise this morning. now hear the Lord's benediction. May the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now, this week, and forevermore. Amen.